0: Episode 46 of Talking Toro. Rob, um, your favourite commentator yesterday, he closed... He closed. Um, he, his final comment was, it's been a long and tiring season watching Torino. And uh, it might reflect that a certain commentator has done a fair few of our games. And, and I don't, I, I'd, I'd run a half marathon yesterday morning. I came home, hadn't really eaten anything. Um had a few beers with the Torino match, and by the time the Torino match had finished, I was pretty drained as well. And I actually sat there, and I might have to agree with him for once. Um, but there were, a few other, there were a few other things in the commentary I agreed less with. But then it got me thinking, is this Torino... Has Juric's Torino got, like, second album syndrome? <laughs> but then I, then I thought that might not be a very good analogy, because how good was the first album but I was just thinking the first album was full of energy and promise, there were a few banging classic tunes on it, but a bit raw and it needed a bit more investment on, on post production and I was thinking what what if this season was an album I think maybe it could could be an album that in revision in its eyes in the future will be seen as groundbreaking and seminal and underappreciated at the time. But I think this season's been a pretty dull concept album maybe on the technical level quite good, but it's not getting you off your seats. Um, this is a very long-winded intro for me and it won't be the first of the day, but um, that was a dull match, wasn't it? Uh, it I was mean, a very dull match.
1: I'm just in awe of your analogy, to be fair. I think that's a, well, no, a, re- a very good way to look at it In what because <laughs> the reality is, obviously, and we'll go on to the game as well, this this Turrini team got 50 points. We achieved 54 last season, so... A win and a draw.
0: I got. A, that's the first red flag. Did we get 50 points last season?
1: No, we've got 50 <laughs> points at the moment. No, but did we get 54 last season? I, th- I think
0: we got 54 last season. Have I, um... that's, that's what was said in commentary, and I didn't go and check it. But, but,
1: but I'll just I've... quickly uh, double-check that. That was the figure that I had in my head um, as being what we had in that sort of... I, I feel like that is our target. I apologise. No, we got 50 last season. So we have Matt, so that, this makes a little bit more sense now about what Yurich um, just said after the game about a target, the target of 50 points being achieved. Uh, I think 54, because I think I've got that in my head from somewhere. I think it was said in the commentary yesterday, it said 54. Ah, so I'm blaming, I'm blaming Paul Dempsey. <laughs> um, so I think... Yeah, I don't know where on earth that's come from. Because obviously, I was wondering whether that was what we achieved when we got into the Europa League um, in Under Ventura in 2014. But yeah, we got 57. So yeah, uh, this no, okay. So this makes a little bit more sense now because actually, yeah, if you look at the first season as being, um, like you say, that that groundbreaking album and and the the way that we were playing, I think there was a lot more optimism in terms of last season, whereas this season, whilst we could better our points record, I don't think people were going to look at it as fondly because I think maybe the expectations were a little bit greater. The, the strange thing is, if you do look at it, I think people who aren't Torino fans would probably look on the outside that we lost Belotti. Sorry, I've mentioned him early on. And Bremer as well would actually think that we've, we've followed up the season quite well. But I think the frustration is that we really should have more points than we do. I'm not saying, I, I genuinely don't think that we are better than any of the top seven teams I think that's I think the top seven is quite clearly uh, mapped out I think the frustration is that obviously Monza are two points above us and obviously that could almost be that game that we played a couple of weeks ago had we managed to hold on to that lead we would still be sort of above them and and quite quite comfortably above them Um, I think that I think the frustrating part is that given that when Yurich came in, we had two seasons of relegation struggles. We had that first season where we started to actually just play attractive, entertaining football. And our probably biggest sort of, if you th- look at look at the last time we played Fiorentina at home, and we beat four nil, and we sort of started the game unbelievably, like sort of basically just in the first thirty minutes, the game was over. We just wiped off the floor. That was the sort of performance I was hoping for and expecting. Yesterday, given Fiorentina were playing a reserve team, they clearly had their minds elsewhere, they probably had a couple of beers on the flight back from Basel, um, and yeah, we turned up, I think, in that first half, you'd have thought we were the ones who played 120 minutes in, in Switzerland, there wasn't really any urgency or anything, I think Juric has, has come out and said that thought the performance was okay in the first half, but I, again... I don't think there was anything to write home about in in that first half. It wasn't like first half against Monza we played a couple of weeks before, where we dominated and did everything but score. It felt relatively comfortable, and yeah, for Fiorentina to come out straight away in the second half and get that sort of sucker punch goal wasn't particularly surprised.
0: No, and I think I mean the Fiorentina eleven. There were actually eight players who had no involvement in in, in Barza. It was a pretty fresh team, and they may have had their own motivation. yet say sec- it essentially a second string. Um but yeah, just the lack of intensity, the lack of energy. I mean last season maybe we had uh Pabega may have been a very kind of useful player in a in a slightly more high energy setup. Ilich and Richie aren't particularly they're very nice footballers, uh and they keep the ball very well, but they're not they they're not necessarily high intensity players. Um and I thought our front three all looked quite disjointed. And I think last week I said, look, all of the players came out of credit in the bank from Verona. I don't think many came out of any credit yesterday, even on an individual level. I would probably probably talk about some of those performances in a minute, but the other thing I wanted to say is um, over the last two seasons, it's a 13 wins at home, 34% win rate. Um, you know, Tariq Torino probably are going to win a third of their matches if you're a a mid-table side, but you'd expect the home win rate to be a lot closer to 50%. And I think I I wrote yesterday, it's not like Torino go away from home and play counter-attacking football. They go away from home and play like a home team often. Um, But the home form, I think now is is definitely an issue. And it's certainly definitely an, an issue in the way we're, Maybe how predictable we are to play
1: against as well for for the opposi- opposition teams. I think I think that's a, a good point because we've mentioned a number of times in the pod that we haven't scored more than two goals all season. If you come to the Grande Torino, you know that if you keep it tight and you score, there's a very good chance that you're going to get a result because we uh, we don't score many goals, and yeah, we might we might manage to get an equaliser like we did, like we did against. Um, Fiorentina yesterday, we've done in previous games, but we're never going to sort of score two goals, like have a, have a burst where we're going to have like that energy. Like that's um, almost a disappointing thing that obviously after we'd scored through Sanabria a very, a very well-worked goal and probably the two players who come out of the game with any credit being Bongiorno and Sanabria, there was again no urgency, which I think in the last, in in first season, there did seem to be a little bit more that we could just have a spell where we'd score two or three goals in a in a quick succession and, and like people couldn't cope with us mention again that Fiorentina game with the four goals. Uh I think Slane Tanner I think there was another game last season where we scored no, like goals in quite quite quick succession where like it was almost like the the, the defence or the opposition just didn't have any time to recover and before they knew it they were they were two 0 two 0 three 0 down. Um and I don't know I don't know what the solution is. I think I think wide areas probably somewhere we should probably look at improving in the summer because if you look at what has did with his Verona team, he was getting a lot of goals and a lot of impact from his, his wing-backs. And again, it's not even that they don't... I think it's a combination that they don't really get into goal-scoring areas. Sometimes you'll get a... I think there was one in the Verona game where it's a, a right-wing cross from Zingo and then Voivoda's just maybe... Half a second too late, it's almost like he's not expecting to be in that position, and maybe a more attacking player would naturally sense that there's an opportunity for a goal here. I know that, um, you spoke about Lasvich, he's not been a player you'd like us to sign, but he was naturally a winger and then converted into a wing back. I think that's one potential way that we can sort of this team can sort of go on and progress and, and have a little bit more of an attacking threat in those wide areas. Um, but I do, I like. I'm still not 100% convinced that Juric sees this as a, a long-term project. So, like A decision probably needs to be made this summer about whether he's going to extend his contracts because I think one of our frustrations in this season has been a lack of urgency and a lack of um, coming out and saying what our goal is, what our target is and, and I don't really think Juric has properly sort of said oh, we really want to be 8 because if if there's a chance of European football, we want to be there. And I think if he continues next season in his last year, of his contract with no sort of guarantee of being here any further, I think that's only going to get worse because I think that sort of opens up that potential that he isn't going to be, um, he isn't going to be here. So it, is he going to be that sort of bothered about some of these games at the end, towards the end of the season where are we going to be able to progress to the next level?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit tired of the whole eighth. We said last week eighth is quite important for Coppa Italia rankings next season. It's it's good for morale, um, but I think it's a bit it's a bit tinpot really to expect eighth to get us into Europe.
1: For the, to get, for the third for the third time, capitalising on somebody else's misfortune.
0: Yeah, and I just don't think you know. I think we should be looking at seventh next year and a decent run in in the Coppa Italia in another season. This kind of yeah, slight caveat on 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 eighth wouldn't wouldn't be there. I mean, Juric is very good. At, he's quite he's quite clever at telling people what a good job he's doing. Um, I don't often see a lot of Mia culpa in his uh, in in his press conferences. And there was one that one bit of the game he enjoyed yesterday. I don't know if I don't know if you noticed it, but it was about twenty five minutes in, and Mandragori well, he booted a few over the bar, but the, f- the first one he booted over the bar. And the camera pans to Urich, he turns away and it just, uh, I, I might be kind of just, might just be me, but you actually just smirk on his face. And I just feel, feel like, yeah, I told you so. Mandragora was crap. Uh, you know, my midfielders wouldn't, wouldn't even shoot from outside the box, but it was, it actually had me in stitches because it, it was this kind of, yeah, really funny little smirk. But, um, but that was one of the few things that, yeah, that, um, that probably that for anybody yeah. who hasn't
1: watched the game, that probably speaks volumes for for what a classic you missed. It was
0: it was a really turg- turg- turgid 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 batch. It was uh it, it was there for Torino to to take the game. I think Fiorentina were quite passive. It was damage limitation, but then they found themselves in the I mean, I hadn't even realized Jovic had come on at half time. Um I hadn't even realised Brekalo had come on at one point as well. It was just they kept throwing these players on the pitch on and. I mean, but... at
1: least at least you knew that Brekalo was on the well, pitch because yeah, you could hear hear the fans well, doing them.
0: Well, that's the other thing that was slightly disappointing. Is I thought the crowd was quite vocal, uh, but it seems to be one of the poorer attendances of the season, which I found strange. I mean, Fiorentina bought a few, but that whole kind the the of prima, the, the primavera seemed to be um quite sparsely populated and it is very often they put um there's a ticket initiatives in there with with youth groups and children and stuff but uh yeah there seems to be a good noise but i thought it yeah i thought it might be one of the the kind of bigger home home gates but um you can, yeah, always,
1: I, you can always tell when they're struggling to um sell tickets because you'll find on sort of instagram and twitter and stuff you'll get videos of players sort of telling everybody to come to the stadium and I noticed a couple from Bongiorno in the week. So maybe they did worry. I think they also, I think they've done a ticket initiative where they've done the Fiorentina and Inter games as a, a package where you can go to them both for probably a reduced price, but nobody knows when that Inter game's is being played yet. Um, which again, I know is, is part and parcel of, of how things work in Italy in terms of they try and sort of leave that last game so that it can be grouped together and, and, But for the fixtures that matter, which ultimately is likely going to be the Champions League. But yeah, that doesn't help attendances when you don't know what time. It's only the game's two weeks away and people don't know when it's going to be. They don't know whether they're available. So are they going to commit to buying two tickets if they might not be able to make the second game?
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, But I think just looking back at some of the individual performances, I think there's probably been a poll for... Worst cameo performance of the season. I, th- uh, I think Jan Caramo at Bologna, which is way more than a cameo, but he did come off as something. Sub- yeah. could. You could actually put Pelle- Pietro Pellegrini's ten seconds in Bologna in there as well. And then you had um, Andrew Gravion at Lazio, and then I've got. I, th- add- I think
1: that I think that's number one.
0: Uh, I've got to add Ollerina Yesterday, he was not. He was. He was not at the match. He was not at the pace. And there was one... I mean, there were a few misplaced passes. I mean, everything was over-hit or under-hit and not just by him. But did you see that misplaced pass where I think it was maybe Maranchuk on the outside? Yeah. And it, it was hilarious. It was almost hilariously overhit it out for goal-kick and then it panned to um, like the Torino dirigente and the uh, the, the, rea- <laughs> the
1: reaction was, yeah, probably not one I wants to see. There was there was one... name. Um... Where again, I think with know it's probably I, I did actually double check when his last appearance was, and it was sort of March, so he's been out for two months. And I find maybe this is potentially I'm not going to I'm not going to try and stick up from completely because it wasn't a, a great performance, but a bit of inconsistency in selection that Mürgen Voivoda started the last two games and now can't get off the bench, and um, we both thought played quite well against. Uh, Hello, Verona. Now can't get a, off the bench. So then you're favouring a player who hasn't played in two months over him. Um, and when you, when you obviously Latzaro came at the same time. And it's obviously, I mean, Vojvola never plays at right back anymore. Despite right wing back, despite being right footed, he only ever seems to be an option on the left. But yeah, I thought that was a bit of a strange um, selection and choice. And yeah, i I'm probably not his best performance, and also. A uh, lack of understanding with teammates. I think there was one where he tried to play a pass on the inside to Illich, and Illich just didn't make the run. I think Illich actually appreciated afterwards that it was his fault. That the the idea was good; it was just that he didn't do it. But I think this was after uh, I know had already had three misplaced passes. He's probably just trying to keep his spirits so. up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Wing back is. I think Valentino Lazzaro was exceptional when he wasn't playing. Because uh, he, cause he he, had the spell where he did really well. He got injured and since he's come back, as apart from the one assist at Sassuolo, he's played standing still football pretty much. Yeah, uh, and Ricardo Rodriguez uh, has done an honest job there. But, you know, every week he, he kind of
1: switches from one position to
0: the other, which is probably not ideal either.
1: I think, uh, I think Rodriguez and moving to the left-wing back has probably been a combination of factors. and the fact, there hasn't really been a great option there in in terms of Lazaro's injury and poor form since he's come back. But also, I think it's probably a fit for me to mention again, Alessandro Bongiorno. I feel like he's it's his personal mission to prove me wrong um, because, yeah, once again, I think he was at the, the bright spot of this performance. And he's... I mean, bear in mind, he was playing as a left centre-back. His assists for the goal. <laughs> also I do I did like the, the player that he beat to get the cross in was Mandragra. Um so I think maybe having that inside knowledge of Bongiorno thinking, oh there's one player I can actually beat for Pace here. um and <laughs> took the ball past him and then yeah whipped in a lovely a lovely cross but yeah great finish by Boston Abria. Well less said about the celebrations potentially the better. But um yeah I think uh I think Bongiorno is is now coming. and even and Yorich mentioned it, I think in his in his press uh, conferences after the game that he's sort of, he'd never seen that sort of improvement from a player in the last two years that he's seen from Bongiorno, I think that's probably quite a fair analysis I don't, I have said on this podcast and I hold man's up that I'd, I thought his, some of his performances this season have been poor but in the last couple of weeks probably from, I'd say the last two months he's been, uh, Funny enough since I went to see him in um, the game at Roma, uh, against Roma where he potentially was at fault for the goal I think he's been probably our best player and probably edging himself into conversations for the player of the season.
0: No, I agree. I think I think yesterday, Bongiorno may have been the only player to... I mean, Sadabri took his goal very well, but he wasn't really in the game. But it was a kind of great one-touch finish. But I thought the likes of Schurz had one of his poorer games. Uh, Caramau was... You often say he's got lightning pace, but... I, I think he's got very good close control, and it it did look like earlier in the season when he was pushed out wide, he had a lot of pace. But he looked, it's been in the few times the last few weeks where he's had, he's basically had land to run into, and the defenders caught up with him pretty, pretty easily. So Uh, if, um,
1: I feel like if uh, Nikola Vlasic, I'm not sure if he mentioned it last week's part, but Vlasic apparently had a stomach, uh, stomach ache last week, uh, and wasn't feeling particularly well but managed to score that wonder goal against Alas I think he may have had maybe, delayed symptoms because he looked absolutely shattered <laughs> how he stayed on the pitch for the entire game there was just there's a, a passage of play I think in the probably 85th to 90th minute where I think both teams give the, way, the ball away at least like every possession they have they can't make two passes and Vlasic Vlasic is on the halfway line nobody around him and just plays a five yard pass straight to a Fiorentina player Um at that stage, I think there was probably yeah. I think it was about eighty-eight minutes. I was like, "Do Torino have a substitution left? Because I would use it now." Um, but yeah, I think they managed to, managed to hold on to the end of the game.
0: All right, and I, I need cheering up. So it's your it's your turn to do the Toropedia.
1: Let's see. Let's let's see if we can get one back. Um, so I, as you were you were very kind last week and gave me um, the years. I think that is going to be necessary for this player as well. Not oh, great. So there is a link. I'm Sure, you'll get to it once I uh, when when I say it. So uh, bear in mind. So we do this based on players on Wikipedia. So there are some gaps. Um. So yeah, I'll go. I'll go for it. So 1942 to 43. Rapello yeah. Rapello Rewentes. Um, where there are, there is no appearance or goals, uh, statistics, uh, lugged. Uh, 1945 to 46, Vogherese, no appearance and goals lugged. 1946 to 47, Spezia, 37 goals, no appearance, 37 games, no appearances. That would have been impressive otherwise. 1947 to 1951, Torino, 77 appearances, zero goals. 1951 to 1952, Brescia, 24 appearances, zero goals. And 1953 to 1955, Bari, 36 appearances, zero goals. Hmm. I would say there is a big clue in that.
0: Yeah, possibly. Um, all right, so just for the people at home, do you just want to read through the clubs and yeah, appearances?
1: Yeah, uh, I think the years probably potentially more um, more helpful. So, uh, Rapallo, Juventus, nineteen forty two to forty three, Bologna, nineteen forty five to forty six, Spezia, nineteen forty six to nineteen forty seven, uh, Torino, nineteen forty seven to nineteen fifty one, uh, Brescia, fifty one to fifty two. And Barry, 53 to 55. Uh, so uh, you'd probably be able to tell that this player retired very early, so he retired at the age of 30.
0: All right. Uh, um, I have one idea, but I'm not sure if it's going to be correct. And uh, no, yeah, I've there's one, there's one logic for, for where I might go, but uh, we'll give the answer, we'll talk a bit about Spezia, and then before the break, uh, we will. Well, I'll let you give the answer and i'll I will have a stab at that, but um yeah- two in a row in the nineteen forties <laughs> one for the kids um so Spezia. um well rob it's a, th- this is a genuine place where we have a terrible run at <laughs> basically they they came back in A. this is their third season back, and it's been calamity after calamity, really we uh first meeting we drew 0-0 when they had ten men for almost the entire game.
1: Which ended up being um Gianparlo's last game in charge.
0: Yeah. And then later that season we're scraping for survival, we lose four uh, one. hashtag Rob's worst match. Yeah. The following season, last year in the Urich we bit of a meek performance, we lost uh I think to a bit of a Vanier error on a on a shot from outside the box. Uh, we managed to beat them at home in a fairly inconsequential game towards the end of the season. Lukic got two. And then we lost a really, well, we thought the Fiorentina match was terrible, but the Spezia home game this year when Enzola scored the penalty was equally bad, I'd say. And then, okay, what's the historical record? Well, historical record is, there's not much of it because before that, the last time we met was 1944, the wartime championship, lost. And then we went there twice in the 1920s and lost. So I think, by my reckoning, every time we've been to Spezia, we've lost. And you want them to stay up over Verona, where we have a great record. Weirdo. <laughs> I just,
1: I just, I just like um, different areas of um, Italy being represented. Oh, ge- well general,
0: Genera coming back up. You don't, you don't, you don't, you yeah, don't need not- more. You don't, you need more than one team from
1: Liguria. Come on. Well, it's, it's, well, anybody who's been to the Cinque Terre would admit it's a very nice place. But yeah, I, I. I don't want them to stay up at the expensive um, Torino. Or just be, oh, it's Torino winning there on on Saturday. I just feel that they add a little bit more potentially. Well, I mean that seems a little bit harsh, you know. I've had less Torino fans um, on my back, so yeah, maybe I won't say that. But I, yeah, I, if if you if you gave me who which of those two teams would I prefer? Do I prefer? I'd go for Spezia despite that well, terrible record there. Lecce could still go down as well. So yeah, that's, that's another lovely part of the world. It is. I mean, and and again, I, I, Verona's not. A, I, I quite enjoy Verona as well, but it's probably one of the Italian cities because of, sometimes I fly back from Verona. It's probably the Italian cities I've been to most. So maybe it's a, a bit of a recency bias in terms of my um, love for Spezia and, uh, and Lecce. But it's, uh, yeah, I think I, I, especially just, just staying back in the football, they had a game against Lecce at the weekend where. Didn't see any of the game, but it ended nil-nil, and I feel it may have been one of those classic Italian. Oh, nil-nil would be quite good for both of us results, and, and that's what we got. Um, they've been in pretty terrible form, despite a win against AC Milan, who were sort of in the middle of those, those Champions League semi-finals. So, it will be interesting to see what sort of specific team, what sort of specific performance comes up. But if you look at it's very similar, I think, to the to the Verona game. You would expect a team fighting for their lives to putting it at home, putting in with a sort of thinking that this has been a really realistic opportunity to win a game. But again, I think there is the potential there that Torino do just turn up and and given their good away away form, have probably got the attributes to really hurt a side who are going for it. And yeah, I think obviously we're disappointed with the Fiorentina game, but. I still think that seven points from, well, I think we probably do need to win both of these games now um, to to get into eighth, which again we've said is is important for the Coppa Italia and potentially for uh, European football should happen, but I think that this game is probably a little bit more winnable. I feel more confident now because we didn't beat Fiorentina, and I know this sounds strange, but... I mean, just don't win three games in a row. We've, we've talked about it before. It's just not something that happens, I think, maybe. But given that disappointing performance, there'll be a little bit more optimism and sort of motivation this, to do well and, and end the season on a high. This would be for away wins in a row, though.
0: Anyway, that, that, and and that, that, the, pre- the, pre- the previous three have been 1-0 and i think the commentator last week said there were it's the first time since the 1950s three they won three away games in a row without conceding the goal yeah so yeah away from home we're in good form i expect, if, expect and I'm, yeah. I'm
1: sorry to get over you as well but our our form actually goes better than that that obviously we there was we've won four of the last five so we beat Lecce and then we we drew 1-1 in Sassuolo where that was a good performance as well. So we've actually put in, since the derby, our last five away games have all been quite promising um, with four wins and a draw. So it is is a weird way that we do seem to be more comfortable playing uh, away from home currently.
0: Yeah, I think this, I think the Fiorentina game, I'm worried it's going to take a little bit of the sting out of us and a little bit of the kind of motivation and energy um Spezia I expect I, I don't know who they've got in the final game I, th- I think I remember looking at both Spezia and Verona got quite difficult matches round 30 yeah I think Verona might go to Milan possibly
1: yeah Spe- Spezia go to Roma yeah
0: so I mean Roma they've got European final they may be out of the Champions League running but um they'll, they'll be looking Spezia basically to to win this match um and, just... and
1: Verona are home to Empoli um, this weekend as well, so you would feel that. Bear in mind, Empoli lost to Sampdoria. Uh, I they know drew, they have been they drew. drew right. Apologies, apologies. Yeah, I missed they, the, miss that ninety-third miss minute
0: equaliser. They, they, they did their best to to, to lose to Sampdoria. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not very confident about about Sata. I think it's. I think they can be quite an awkward team, um, and it might be. Torino might be able to play on their kind of the, the nervousness and um, actually play a little bit more on the break, perhaps. But I um I think this might be one nil to Spezia, um, and I don't. I personally don't see it. We couldn't get anything. Like Fiorentina were a friendly team between two cup finals. They come with a second string eleven, and then we're thinking we might be Inter on the final get final day, who may. I think there'll be something in it for Inter in the final day, even if it's even if it's position of love kind of Champions League place. So I'm not confident. I think Inter the game might be a bit like the Roma game, final game of last season, where we actually get turned over a bit. So
1: I think, yeah, I think I think it probably would depend on whether... it 50, 50, fifty points. It is again. Is I think I think Inter have um, cemented top four then I don't think they'll be too worried about whether they finish third or fourth, but bear in mind that Juventus could potentially be one of those teams who finish above them and then should should what happen, happens happens that they, they move up anyway. Um I mean I think they played a relatively I uh, saw sort the of Galliadini started and got sent off against Napoli. So I think they will play a relatively uh rotated team. It's a diff- it's a it's a strange one in terms of mindset because obviously players who started for Fiorentina on Sunday, you sort of know, probably not in the, in the manager's mind for playing in the cup final, but then it's actually your last opportunity to sort of change their mind. I think with Inter, probably their start at a little bit more settled as well. So players, again, if they didn't have anything riding on that game and they do play a second string, I don't think they're thinking, oh, a great performance here is going to put me in my line for the Champions League final. They're thinking, dear God, I don't want to get injured because we've got a Champions League final I might be on the bench for. Um so yeah I think I I I'm still optimistic that if we could beat Spezia and I will go for it I I'm going to go for another 1-0 Torino away victory um that yeah if we if we, I think if we went into that game knowing that a victory would would us finishing eight against a team who potentially have got nothing to play for then yeah I think it would be an a better end to the season than just sort of a, a drab sort of like say what happened last season where we sort of got we'd, I don't think we'd, been beaten by more than one goal all season, and then um, Jose Marino's high, high score in Roma came to town.
0: All right, before we um, before we wrap up, Toropedia,
1: Toropedia, you got right, my, my, my you logic.
0: Go. Yeah, I've only got one guess. I mean, on one hand, it, the stats are a bit goalkeeper esque, like no goals, but the only player, I mean, there's just the 47 to 51 at Torino that stands out, and maybe I'm not thinking clearly enough about it, but the only survivor I remember Supergo was Sandro uh, Tomar, I think or, um, who
1: wasn't on the flight so that's my guess that is correct I, was, I thought I wasn't I wasn't sure how whether this was difficult or or not I thought there was there was enough in there for the for the sort of uh, time frame and then obviously yeah that 47-51 sort of discounts anybody, anybody else in, in the Grand 3 in the team unfortunately uh, and yeah, I'll be honest, i wanted to try and find the link between Torino and Spezia and I didn't realise that, that Toma, who I'm not sure if somebody who we've mentioned before in the pod might be might be somebody to talk about on a different day, but yeah, very difficult um, that he obviously was a teammate of, of Grande Torino and, and then had to sort of carry on playing for the club whilst, um, whilst yeah, unfortunately his teammates had perished. So yeah, I didn't realise that he was born in Spezia and was an ex-Spezia player. Uh, the only other player who I was tempted to use was um, Emmanuel Giatti, but I don't think he ever actually made an appearance for Torino. No. Uh, but yeah, sometimes captain's uh, Spezier,
0: Yeah, he always enjoys doing well against Torino, I think. But um, all right, we've well, got a guest this week, Rob. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about following Torino back in the early 90s. Um, we're going to introduce this guest with a bit of a random clip. Um, from the world of cycling. See you on the other side.
2: Coppi parte per quella che risulterà una delle fughe più lunghe di tutta la sua carriera. La più lunga
0: fino a quel momento.
2: 153 km.
0: All right, I'll start by introducing our guest uh, with a long-winded anecdote, so please excuse me. But in last week's part, I mentioned watching the 1993 Coppa Italia finals on, v- on a VHS recording. And it dawned on me over the weekend, it was actually this week's guest who probably supplies, supplied those tapes. At a time, I was 14 years of age and kept seeing adverts in football magazines toward a merch from a mystical Toro Club England. And back in the day, unless you took a trip to Italy, replying to these sort of classified ads for the best way of getting a scarf, pennant, some knockoff Toro tapes, normally uh, coming in German language, but we'll talk about that uh, uh, later on. But Toro Club England, which had big Manchester City links, was run by today's guest, Herbie Sykes. And Herbie Sykes is a name that you don't forget easily. About five or six years ago, when I started getting more into cycling, I saw there was a Turin-based cycling writer by the same name. So even me put two and two together and guessed that must be the same person. So I got to know Herbie a few years ago. We covered a a Milan-San Remo weekend together, had a lot of fun. And it's also worth mentioning that, The Giro d'Italia is currently on. Herbie is one of the great experts of the race, having written definitive guides like uh, Malia Rosa, as well as penning books and Fausto Copy, Race Against the Stasi, and a certain football title about the Rongans in the black and white striped pajamas. (laughs) We're not here to talk about the Giro, nor indeed the Agnelli's. We're going to talk Toro. Herbie, welcome. Uh, What came first, setting up Toro Club England or coming to your first Toro match in the early 90s?
2: no toro club england came first i read about toro in when saturday comes and it would have been i was trying to think i was thinking of this just just um in the shower just before we 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 came on and it would have been 87 i think and um at the time toro in england at the time there was a kind of a big five okay obviously the 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 the, the football landscape was very different back then but essentially In England, you'd these three Northwestern clubs, these powerhouse clubs uh, Manchester United, Everton, and Liverpool. And then two clubs in the South, Arsenal and Spurs. They were the big five in English football at the time. Everton was one of the big five. And similarly, in Italy, you'd Milan, uh, Inter, uh, Juve, and then Napoli. Are they Napoli and Roma or Lazio and Roma? But you'd a big five anyway. And Toro and City were the odd ones out. Okay, because uh, we were we were essentially both rubbish, and Toro were in Serie B at the time, so it would have been eighty-seven, I think. And City were in Division Two, as was because they hadn't invented the Premiership uh, at that point. So I read this thing in When Saturday Comes, and I found it very interesting. And uh, I'd never been abroad, I don't think. Certainly never been to Italy before, but it was something about it. I liked it. And then I think there was something in a city fanzine as well as a fanzine called Blueprint at the time. I was quite into that stuff, you know. And I actually wrote some pieces for Blueprint. But anyway, one way or another I was really intrigued by it and I and, and I worked in a telly shop and we'd uh, we and um Sky hadn't didn't hadn't evolved had been, hadn't been invented at that point, but we had a great a 3 meter satellite dish through which I was able to watch Rye, Yeah. Um, I think it would, it would, it would, you needed a three meter satellite dish to watch right at the time. Or two and a half meters, a massive thing. So fundamentally, I was interested. I started to get the Gazzetta. The Monday Gazzetta would arrive on a Thursday, and uh, and I liked it. And I want. And I, um, it felt impossibly glamorous because I was, I, I was, I'm from Lincoln, you know, and I was a fan of. Of, of of man city in the age of long the long ball in english football. So that was kind of the genesis of it really. And um and yeah that that was the beginning and then um and then after italia 90 they started to broadcast italian football on BSP, as was um which predated sky and then we went to a game and that was the beginning.
0: So tell us about yeah you talked are oh, you you've got a lot of colourful stories about coming to that game. It was a derby wasn't it? It turned yeah,
2: well, we we were mad on it. I mean, I would kind of what happened was, um, and it's it's obviously a very long time ago, but fundamentally, um, we'd they Toros' first home game, I think, of the season, maybe the second home game. They'd moved to the Deli Alpi, okay, so where obviously the semi final of the of the World Cup had been with Waddle and and Pearson and the, all that whole thing, yeah. Um, and it was the first season in the Delhi Alpi, and I think the sec- I think it was the second home game. I could be wrong. They played Inter at home, okay, and they basically dismantled Inter. They played really, really well, 1-2-0, big crowd. It wasn't full, but there were a lot, of, there were a lot in there, and they had a team full of former youth team players, and at the time, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. At the time, City also had like five former youth team players in the side. So there are lots of parallels between the two clubs, yeah? Um, And essentially what happened was we had a free weekend. We all had season tickets at Main Road, but we had a free weekend because we got knocked out of the FA Cup. And that weekend happened to coincide with the Turin Derby, okay? So um, through some friends of mine, we arranged tickets and we got a train. We took the train from Lincoln to Turin because flying was too expensive. We couldn't afford to fly. Um, so we took the train, and um, and yeah, and that was the beginning of it. That was um, it was mental. I mean, the whole weekend was absolutely unhinged, really. Um, but yeah, so that that essentially was the way it happened. And prior to that, we'd managed to get some Toro shirts, okay, and that was colossally complex, in, in, insanely complex, because there were three thousand lira to the pound. So we we ordered eight of these things, yeah. There, were no, there was no merchandising back then. You couldn't just buy stuff, yeah. Um, I think they'd started to do that in English football, but Italian football didn't have any of that stuff. So we'd done this bank transfer. There were faxes back and forth, and it was tremendously complicated. They were about 30, 30 quid each. So 30 quid would have been, let's say, 90,000 lira by eight. So there were stratospheric numbers. We couldn't even understand these numbers, yeah. Um, But anyway, eventually this box turned up with these Toro shirts and we were beside ourselves because the world was a really big place. I mean, the world was a really big place. You couldn't just get on a a Ryanair and come to Turin. The internet didn't exist. So it felt really mystical. You know, it felt like it was fantastical for us to get these things from this faraway place, which Turin was. Um, But yeah, essentially, that's the way it started. We couldn't afford to fly. So we got the train. Uh, Lincoln to King's Cross, King's Cross to Paris. Got the overnight sleeper to Turin, and that was the beginning of it. Yeah,
0: if my memory serves me correctly, didn't you then walk from I don't know if it's Portasusa yeah, no, to Portonovo to 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 the stadium?
2: Yeah, because we, not... we we we've been told. I had these friends that that were Calabresi, you not know, but they they were born in they were of Calabresi extraction. But they were born in Lincolnshire. Okay, so they had a bit of Italian. I had no Italian. I mean, nothing. Um, and what they said is, okay, you need to collect the tickets from the club shop. Okay, there were four tickets, there no, were four of us. I think, yeah, there were there were four of us. So we just assumed, given that we only knew we only knew English football, that the club shop would be at the ground. Yeah. So and. We we knew the name of the ground. That's all we knew was the name of the ground. We didn't know shit. We didn't know anything. We didn't have we didn't have a word of Italian between us, really. Maybe it's something. So anyway, we we trap. We'd um, been on the train through the night. We arrive at Porta Nuova. I think it would have been about six in the morning or very early in the morning. Anyway, before anything was open. Okay, and we assumed okay. Because again, we don't we, we we only knew English football. We assumed that the ground would be somewhere kind of in in Turin, probably in the centre of Turin. We're as thick as mints, <laughs> um, so we just kind of asked somebody, Stadio delle Alpi or whatever we did, and we just kept walking. And anybody that knows the the, the geography of Torino will know that the the, 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 the is at Venaria, which is is right. I mean, it's literally. It's a hundred meters from the city limits. It's under the so Alps, just, Alps, yeah,
0: literally. Yeah, so we just
2: walked and walked and walked more. We kept on walking, kept on going, and funnily enough, the thing happened right because um, it was a big adventure for us. It was a really big adventure. I'd got this suitcase that was like an antique suitcase. My missus was into antiques, and I'd got this antique suitcase which was all polished up and it's nonsense. You need to dispose. Anyway, the handle broke. Right, so I'm carting this thing, this suitcase, like in my hands. Does it got no handle? And I'm walking, and I walked all the way to Venaria, to the Deli Alpi, with this bloody thing. Got there. We get we get there in the end, and it's what it's eight nine k kilometers, so it's it's quite a walk, you know. We've been all travelling all night. We're a bit knackered, and there's nobody there because it's just a football stadium. And it's not it, it's not anything to... The club just rent it, obviously. There was a security guard there, basically. One one human being there. And it's Contanasis. Contanasis is right in the middle of nowhere anyway. And he just he, he essentially put us in a taxi and sent us back to where we'd come from because um, Solotoro, the club's shop, is in Vianina, uh, Vianino Costa, which is about half a mile from Porta Nuova. So we walked all the way there. And this gadget put us in put us in the taxi that sent us back to where we come from, and then eventually we um, yeah eventually we, we we found our way to the club shop and um, and it was quite an event because um, they weren't used to Toro fans. I mean, Juve had a, a big um, fan base all over Europe, obviously, because Juve was Juve. The Toro didn't, and and um, they were quite um, they were very interested in the notion that these four English fans. Would have taken the train to to watch Toro play, yeah, because I don't because that, that things like just didn't happen in nineteen ninety one. Um, so the tele the television turned up. We went to Philadelphia to watch them train, and we into we, the, the the. And of course, they're trying to. You've got Toto Sport and La Gazetta and they've got to fill the newspapers, yeah. So it was quite interesting for them. So we started talking to journalists. So in one one way or another, we were like mini celebrities for twenty four hours, yeah? And um and then of course Todd won the derby, so so it's perfect. I mean the whole weekend was just perfect.
0: What what were your just talking about the atmosphere in the stadium, how I guess how prepared were you for any of that, just with it being so different to the culture of English football as well?
2: we we had prepared ourselves in the sense we built this colossal flag because we'd seen it you know um english football was pretty um utilitarian i mean it was it was fairly prosaic the football itself was technically was you know it was fairly primitive but obviously italian football is is as much about spectacle as the game itself it's you know there's a the whole stuff around it the the, the the fans are organized, there was lots of theatre. So we'd made a big flag, okay. In fact, we'd made it the week preceding the game, we decided to do it. And it had the, the city Man City Crest on it the Toro Bull, the Toro Club England on it. And of course, that kind of thing was a bit of a novelty. And um, so so we were prepared in that's in the sense that we kind of had prepared ourselves. What happened was we we, we so we had this flag that we'd built and then um we um, we were staying in a a kind of a two star hotel or a cheap hotel that somebody had found us in in Piazza San Carlo okay which at the time was a car park obviously piazza san carlo now is this magnificent uh, splendid thing baroque this and it's 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 one of the one of the jewels of of torinese architecture at the time it was a car park so we were staying there and on the saturday night we hung our flag over the balcony of the hotel, yeah, because we, you know, we thought we we wanted to show our flag off. We thought we were being clever, uh, so we get up on the Sunday morning then, and there was like there are about two hundred people outside the hotel waiting for us to obviously had been in the newspaper, they'd seen it on the telly because obviously there were lots of cable channels talking about the Derby and stuff, and we'd been interviewed for those. So um, we get up on the Sunday morning. We've been out on the lash, obviously, and um, and there are loads of people beneath our hotel waiting for us. Yeah, <laughs> What's this? and they were cheering us and clapping us, and uh, obviously, so that was you know it was quite. A... And then and then we had to walk back to the stadium. So we walked. So we walked to the stadium again then because that was what you did on Derby Day. Yeah, and Toto fans because we were, were away from home. You they were at home that day. So we walked to the stadium again. Um. And we'd never experienced an atmosphere like it. We'd never known anything like that in the ground before. You know, the thing was literally jumping. The ground was shaking beneath your feet. The whole choreography was just astonishing for us, as I say, because we weren't used to stuff. We'd never seen anything like that. And and, uh,
0: how, how long did Toro Club England last for after that? Before you kind of all went your own separate ways, and
2: it kind of lasted in the sense that it got bigger. I mean, at, at that point, it wasn't a, it, it? There were four. There were four. There were five of us. Yeah, it was just uh, me and my mates that went to City every week. Um, and then some guys we knew in Manchester started joining in, and they started to come to cheer in, and then um, it became a bit of a thing. And it kind of outgrew sit, the, the Man City thing a bit, yeah. Um, and I think at a certain, point, I know when we went to Arsenal, I, were you at the Arsenal game? Did you go to Highbury that night? No, no. When, when no. played Arsenal in the Cup, we that night. There would have been about sixty of us, I think, fifty or sixty of us. So, um, but it it became um, like uh, a, not a job as such, but it became it started to get um, a bit too cumbersome. Um so I mean we we kept going and we went for several years. I mean I I remember being uh, being there in 99 when they got promoted. Uh and we basically went every year for a few years, yeah. Um and then uh, I I so I guess probably I mean, I always supported Toro and when I, when I came to Turin, I would always go to to, to 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 watch Toro play. So, but as a, as a kind of an entity, if you like, it probably lasted realistically five or six years. But um, but then I started to do cycling quite a bit, and I was progressively less involved. But yeah, I mean, it was it was it was great. I mean, it was it was. Um, it, it, as, it, as I say, it, it was the antithesis of English football. It was the polar opposite of uh, opposite of English football. At first, I mean, aside from the fact the players were really, really good in relative terms. You got guys like Shifo and Martin Vasquez and, and Lentini. These were Clavella, These were really good players. And English football didn't really have that, you know. English football just used to wallop the thing, get it forward, and hit the number nine. So, yeah.
0: you are a very privileged man to have seen Torino win a derby because the first. <laughs> My first week living in, in in Torino, the derby I went to see was we'd already been relegated. It was two thousand and three. Uh, we went down to eight men against Juventus. Yes, that famous derby yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Juventus went down to ten men, and we missed at one nil. We missed basically an open goal in the ninetieth minute. Um, yeah, I don't think Rob if Rob's seen about one derby win on well on TV. Well, yeah, I've seen
1: one derby win on TV. I've been. Um at the Juventus Stadium, and yeah, we've been leading in the last 10 minutes twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times have we
2: seen that film as Toro fans? Yeah, I mean, so I
1: just... basically, yeah, I was there for the Liaric uh, free kick, and then I think Higuain equalised, and then um, Lukic scored, and I think it was Ronaldo, yeah, Bremer. it was Bremer's first start, and he was unbelievable for 85 minutes, and then lost Ronaldo at the far post. Uh, so yeah, I've come close to seeing Torino win the derby, but yeah. Not, not, not much Another
2: one I remember was the, the, um, at the uh, Olimpico when I would have been, I can't remember which year it was, 2006, when Ferrante scored and we led after kind of 88 or 89 minutes.
0: Oh, the, the Maresca one. And then or... Maresca equalized.
2: Yeah. yeah. I remember that one very well. I was there for that. Um, but the funny thing is, in 91, we haven't won for seven years. We haven't won a derby for seven years. But, Every, everything was fair. Juve were really poor. It was Manfredi's Juve, and they were really poor. They had these, they had really good players, but as a side, they were just they were there anyhow. And actually, there was a. It, it, it wasn't um, Toro started the game. You won't say his favourites, but as near, yeah. But but on on on, it, it, it wasn't unreasonable to expect that Toro could win that derby, because um, we had a really good side. And they had, in relative terms, a really poor one. Um, but who would have known that it would have been another what, thirteen years till we won again? It's just, but that's Toro, isn't uh, it?
0: How do you? Obviously, you moved to Turin. Um, try, trying to think when it was about ten, fifteen years ago. 15 you, years weren't, ago. you weren't there 15. when I was living there. We didn't quite cross. But yeah, how, years how, ago. how do you view? I don't know. How, how do you view the Torino of today? And I'm just kind of interested as well with Ky- you with your relationship with Giro and Cairo, Cairo's involvement with the Giro, mm. it's kind of interesting your perspective of Torino today and where they're heading, or maybe where they're not heading. I mean, Man City is a whole case in part that kind of that parallel doesn't work anymore. Torino, uh, if no. anyone, where the where the Everton of of Serie, a, and maybe that Everton Liverpool relationship, and the, the and the and the Juve Toro one is is probably more yeah. more just in terms of a comparison there. But do you, I struggle sometimes to understand Cairo's motivation for being president of Torino. Just the say, he goes to every single match; he's always there. Yeah, but then I don't know. Just there never seems to be really any long-term planning, any progress, even even much passion. I don't get. I don't get out of it.
2: I, I think the thing with with uh, what the way I view it is this. Okay, and it's quite simplistic. My 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 view of this thing. Toro is by and large. Is a Piemontese club of Piemontese people, okay, by and large. And it's the, it's, and and, and and in some ways it represents this city. I like to think that it's maybe a bit romantic, a bit romanticized, but it is. It's that if you, by and large, the, in the main, the people that support Toro are, are, are here, they're from here, they're rooted here. And I kind of like that, okay. And I know that Cairo, for all his shortcomings, he's Piemontese from Alessandria. He may be Inter-East, I don't know. But I, 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 I'm not. It's frustrating what Toro. That Toro essentially exists now because we need to remember where Toro was when when Kaido took it. Yeah, because it was bankrupt. It wasn't a football club. It's frustrating. There is a kind of an inertia about this thing, you know, because we know that fundamentally. We're going to be between at this point probably eighth and fifteenth in Serie A. That's where we are. That's who we are. Yeah, and so in that respect, yeah, you could say it's, you could argue that it's, it, it, the whole thing is pointless because the disparity between them and us is colossal. there's an abyss between them and us. Yeah, financially, in just about in a, in, in just about every respect. That said and you know that they're going to get sold you know that you, you know you knew that Brent. you know they're going to go because that's the economy of serie a you know that that Scurs is going to go next you knew that lukic would go because they go anybody good that we get goes because that's football but i don't ma- but the the but the, the, the i suppose the alternative to that is a kind of a boom and bust, bust football club yeah we Is Borsano. The alternative is probably Borsano. And Borsano is fantastic. And Mondonico and Gigi Lentini and that thing, yeah. But we were 15 years paying for that. That took 15 years to wash through, yeah. More, 20 years. Because that was spending money that, that, that Toro didn't have and couldn't generate. So, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and of course, everybody's kind of, Nothing ever happens. Here we go again. Um, but yeah, do you know what I mean? It's uh, it's a difficult one. I don't think I don't, it's difficult to like Kido, but his husbandry of the football club actually is not that bad, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I think you're definitely along the Rob lines there with of, uh, of your reason your reasoned view, but.
2: Yeah I mean but by the same token we all I mean we your football you fo- that's what football you want it makes a dream doesn't it but we there's no point in, in us deluding ourselves that we've got the resources to play in the champions league because we just haven't unless uh, somebody comes along a benefactor comes along okay and and does a newcastle or a manchester city or whatever it is and turns toro into what toro isn't Turns Toro into Juve or Milan or into which are brands, yeah. First and foremost, then we kind of are where we are, and I don't, I, don't, I, I like, I like, to, I kind of like Toro as is in some respects, yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that we're, we're on the pitch, it's not great, but we, we, as a Toro fan, you kind of need to ask yourself who you want to be and what you want to be. Yeah, that's. I mean,
0: I- I'm also interested, obviously you did the book on Juve and something yeah. Rob and I always say is the Torino history is ripe for um, a captive audience. I mean, you've got Superga, you've got the, the whole story of Moroni, you've got the story of the pilot Superga being called Moroni, you've got the, the sto- everything it, which yeah. happened yeah. in 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Is that, why, I, I guess, why has that story... I know football fans are aware of Superga, but I guess could that make a captivating story on Netflix or or a series and, and, and told maybe, it's something we discussed on the pod recently, told in the kind of context of the Torino today? And is that.
2: Yeah, God. Well, it's just, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, Superga? The Grande Torino is an extraordinary thing. It's an, it's an extraordinary moment in Italian time, that whole thing. Uh, what they represented, who they were, this country on its knees and the significance, their significance, certainly po- more so post-war, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, you couldn't make it up. Make
0: is it? it up. Is it something you've ever considered writing? I know you've written I I
2: bits. write, um, yeah, you kind of, I mean, yes, but um, it's work, Rob, as well for me. And so... If they come to you and say we want a book about Juventus, um, they'll pay for that because there's an audience for that. Yeah, because Juventus is, 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 is almost transcends football. Um, and it's a very interesting thing to do. You Ju- Juve and Toro are the same, you know. Uh, as a Toro fan, Juve is, is intrinsic to your identity as a Toro fan. It's part of, whether we like it or not, Juve is part of who we are as Toro fans. Yeah. Can't not be. And then, and 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 so um, actually, I, there's one of the things I found really interesting about about writing a book about Juventus, which you'll say is a Toro fan. Why would you write a book about Juventus? Because Juventus is who we are as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing story. The Toro story is, um, and 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 obviously, it's wrapped up in Juve as well. Is the story of this place? It's the story of this people and this country? Because Turin was you know the economic powerhouse of the 20th century and the torinese people by by extension were were, were the economic were the were the people that, that drove that so um yeah it's fascinating it's i mean aside from the heartbreak of it all it's uh it's an amazing story isn't it you couldn't you, you couldn't make that up um, no it's um... um you know and the whole I'll...
0: Well, I think you. We started this call by saying you read the the World Soccer article in 1987. I think I was drawn in. I was drawn in by watching the highlights of the ninth of the Real Madrid game. But I yeah. think I'd read I'd read something about Superga at a similar time. And Rob, I think your entry into the was reading an article on on on, Su- on Superga at some point. Yeah,
1: it was a four four two magazine. They they did a like a sort of insert about. Go into Italy and all the different cities and and teams and yeah, there was just literally half a paragraph on on Torino and that was that was me solid. And like Peter says, people, I'm still surprised at how few people here know about Superga in in England. I think even so, that was back in 2005. I'd never heard of the story of Superga. Really? I still find that your average football fan is probably not aware, and and that's probably a shame. I think the the story of Grande Torino needs to be told in whatever mechanism is probably is probably the, the main one of the day
2: yeah i think i think most football fans if i'm honest i could well be i could be wrong obviously here and in this country it's part of it, it it's part of uh, I, I it's wrapped up in identity and it was such a seismic thing that you know anybody that has any interest in football in italy knows the story I, I think generally though if i'm honest most football fans just live in the here and now don't they i mean you you support your team or not um and so whilst yeah whilst there's a lot i mean certainly with the with with internet and stuff with the sheer volume of sort of information that's available to us now that that surprises me a bit but most people just history is it happened a very long time ago didn't it I mean it happened 70 years ago so um 74 years ago so yeah but yeah it it, it is um a great story a, a, an amazing story but how but how much it's going to resonate outside of, I don't know, you know, the your hardcore f- football supporter, I don't know. Uh, I think with all of this, I mean, as, as regards like making books and films about this stuff, there's an algorithm, Pete, where they say, okay, if we have a book about um, Paul Gascoigne or Juventus or Roberto Baggio, they, it's re- they can fairly, or a film about this, they can fairly easily identify a market there, yeah? They say, okay, well, we know that if we've got a book with the Juventus, for example, they knew they would be able to sell it in a couple of other countries and it ought to sell quite well because they just bought Cristiano Ronaldo uh, and Juventus is a big, iconic football club. Toro isn't. Toro is, is Chirin's football club, so, you know.
0: All right, I'm going to close, Herbie, with a few uh, short-fire questions for you. Easy one. Sure, right, yeah. this came up this came up last week. You got a choice. Torino to win uh, the Coppa Italia or the Conference League. If you had a choice. If we were in Fiorentina's position.
2: Coppa Italia.
0: Interesting. Um, whatever happened to the Toro Club England flag?
2: I lost it in Rome at the Coppa Italia final. Got absolutely wow. <laughs> got speciously drunk, drinking all night. Uh we, we didn't have tickets until like 10 minutes before the game because Bruno, Pasquale Bruno, promised us tickets, yeah. Went to the team hotel and Bruno's there because Bruno Bruno and, and Anoni really wanted to play in England. They were mad on the idea of playing in England because English football was right up their street. They were kind of fairly agricultural defenders to say the least. So anyway, we became quite friendly with Bruno and Bruno said, yeah, I'll, I'll get you tickets. No problem, I'll get you tickets. So we go to the hotel Bruno's there, there are no tickets. Ah, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Go, 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 go to the ticket office at the, at the ground. So we go to the ground, still no tickets. Got in right at the last, and we sat with all the Roma VIPs, yeah? Giannini scores his three penalties, total win on aggregate. We went, we got out, I, I, I don't think I've ever consumed so much alcohol in my life. Anyway, basically, we hung it over the balcony at the hotel in Rome, yeah? Which probably wasn't wise, given that Toto had just beaten Rome in the in the Coppa Italia final. Woke up the following morning, it disappeared. <laughs> um, which is a great shame because it, it was a thing of beauty so
0: yes, I'll, I'll, cl- I'll close with an appeal then to the good people of Rome if there's someone is a Toro Club England yeah,
2: somebody, I, I, one assumes it was burned
0: yeah, I can imagine so Herbie it's been Ace nice catching up with you and talking Toro and yeah really appreciate your time and we'll get you back on I mean, there's so many stories we can talk about with you we'll, we'll, Lentini and uh, the Lentini article you wrote kind of inspired this so Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for everything.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Forza Toro, sempre.
0: Forza Toro. Forza Toro.
2: Okay, okay. Cheers. Speak soon.